Okay, Bismillah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. So we're continuing, this is session number five on the topic of futuwa. Futuwa, as we talked about before, uh, but as a refresher, in case anyone is coming new or anything like that. And this is a word that's not really used in a lot of circles, so maybe even for people who have come before, it's good to review it. Even I was talking to someone who's an imam recently, and I mentioned this term to him, and he didn't know the term. I was like, okay, alhamdulillah, it happens. Uh, Islamic studies is vast, it's very easy to miss things. So, futuwa is a name for kind of like a discipline of Islamic studies that relates to how we develop noble character and what that noble character should look like, essentially. How do we become a feta, feta, like a noble young person? Um, as Sayyidina Ibrahim, Prophet Abraham salam, was referred to in the Qur'an as a feta. He was this young person who had honor and who had the strength to be able to take a stance for what was right, salam. So uh, we kind of introduced the topic in the previous sessions. They're on YouTube if you like to see them. And we reached up to the seventh point. So we're reading from uh, this book by Dr. Rajab Senturk, may Allah preserve him, who lives in Turkey or Turkiya. And so we're on number seven. And we had started it last time and then it was long. So we said that we'd pick up, we'd kind of like resume it this time, inshallah. Um, SubhanAllah, this is actually probably the whole day is going to take this one point because it's a pretty, it's pretty involved. So, okay, number seven says, oppose your nafs, give it its rights and restrain its pleasures. Give it its rights and restrain its pleasures. So, uh, one of the things to understand in this regard is that the human being the internal and real life of the human being is composed of different elements. Inside of us we have our nafs, we have our qalb, uh, we have the ruh. And the, the nafs is like that power in a sense inside of us that pushes us in different directions. And usually we use it, uh, usually in the, in the world of Islamic spirituality it's often used in kind of a negative sense. You know, that we have these tendencies inside of us Maybe they're lack of patience, maybe, or maybe they're like an impatience, maybe it's a kind of um, jealousy, maybe it's some sort of anger, whatever else it might be. But we have these impulses inside of us, and part of what makes us human, and really the, the actual practical path of Islam, is to try to rectify those internal things. And, you know, subhanAllah, I was just talking with some family about this last night, that this is really the hardest thing actually, you know. Um, many things are like, you know, of course prayer is very important, fasting is very important, and these are tools that we use to improve ourselves. But in the end of the day, they, they're means that we worship Allah by these things, and that worship that we do is meant to improve ourselves. And the reality is that that self-improvement actually is quite difficult. Takes a lot of introspection, takes a lot of recognizing, okay, this is what's going on inside of me. 
It takes a lot of courage to be like, okay, I have this issue. I need to face this issue. It's not going to resolve itself. And also it takes a lot of patience. You know, I always tell people that you know, since I became a Muslim, it's been 20 years now, I've always been interested in the chapters on restraining your tongue in the books of spirituality. I don't know why. That, that particular chapter like, fascinated me. You know, these are the different diseases of the tongue. These are the issues, you know, so on and so forth. And I was always so interested in it. I would just read it and read it and read it. Find new books and read it and read it and read it. And 20 years have passed and it's still a problem. <laughs> you know, like, read a lot, alhamdulillah, about restraining my tongue. But restraining my tongue is a whole different issue. So, like, reading it is one thing, but doing it is something else. And, you know, imbibing love in ourselves for others, patience for others, to learn to refrain from judging others, to give them a chance, you know. All of these things are, uh, they take a lot of work. But that's all in the realm of the nafs. They say the heart, the qalb, the spiritual heart, is the capacity inside of us that is able to differentiate between right and wrong. That as the nafs is developed, the heart is able to see properly. And then it can see and distinguish between things that are right, and it can see and distinguish between things that are wrong. And um, as we've mentioned before, subhanAllah, I think it came up in, was it in this one or in Sunday afternoon? You know, there's a famous hadith. Everyone talks about it all the time. It's an important hadith where a companion named Wabisa, radiallahu anhi, came to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and the Prophet told him, "You came to ask about. I think it was here. You came to ask about bir. You know, as he came, the Prophet told him, "This is what you came to ask about." And he said, "Yeah, that's right." And he said, "This righteousness that you came to ask about, it's what settles in the heart, and you feel okay about it. And the other side is this. It's like mahakafi nafsik." It's kind of like if you got a thorn in your clothes and you can't get it out and it's like, it's like you feel like that, that's what's bad. You know, things that are bad, they're like that, they're inside your heart like that. And then he told Wabisa, istafti qalbak. You know, put the question to your heart. If something, if you don't know how to approach something, put the question to your heart, you know. And, <clears throat> and the scholars always say, but the, the issue here is that we have to be committed to purifying our heart. Otherwise, we can't trust our heart. And then, uh, you know, by chance I heard this line from a, from a well-known and great American poet named J. Cole. And he said, that, uh, he said that you blame me for following my heart. He said, but my heart was tainted. He, and I was like, subhanAllah, that's the commentary on this hadith. <laughs> you know, the line was perfect. I, the, you, told, you blame me for following my heart He's re, feel, talking about it in retrospect You know and He says but my heart was tainted So yeah I did what I was I, I did what I felt I should do But what I felt I should do Maybe it wasn't the right thing to do still uh, So the, 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 all these processes go together The nafs we try to purify it Then the heart is able to see good from bad And then the last or, or Not maybe the last But another component there is the ruh the ruh is kind of like the spirit. And that's the part of the human being that's directly connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, you know, this is the thing that makes human beings very unique. So anyways, all of these uh, go together. <coughs> so he says, oppose your nafs, give it its rights and restrain its pleasures. All of that was because I don't want to translate nafs all the time. It's like one of those words, we kind of need to get it. Nafs, N-A-F-S. 
our base self, our ego. Sometimes in English they translate it as ego, you know, the ego. He says, one of the biggest obstacles that hinder one's moral and spiritual development is one's own ego, which is called nafs. Uh, and then he continues, he gives this quote from Imam Rabbani al-Sirhindi on love. Letter number 24 in Al-Maktubat. Uh, actually, subhanAllah, one time I was traveling and we happened to have a layover in Istanbul. It's like an overnight layover. And <coughs> this is making me, I want to like be like this the whole time. Okay, so we had this overnight layover. And one of the brothers uh, that we knew who was living there, he graciously let us stay with him overnight. And then in the morning before we went back to the airport, he was going to class. Uh, and he was like, why don't you come with us? And, and, and his class was with Dr. Rajab. And it was the first class where he was teaching on Maktubat. So Alhamdulillah, it was the first class. So on the first class, he brought the book and he gave a book as a gift to all the students. We were there, so he gave it to us too. Alhamdulillah. And then this is a... So his quote is from that book. <coughs> it says, The heart cannot extend its love to multiple things. Unless love for something is not removed, the heart cannot extend its love to another thing. Often, it is seen that human beings have many things as objects of their love. For example, wealth, children, leadership, praise, popularity. However, the love for these multiple things is actually love for one thing, and it is the nafs. So the love for all of those things goes back actually to the nafs is getting what it wants. So the nafs is happy when it's in a position of leadership. It's happy when people give it authority and popularity and all of these other kind of things. And all of those things actually are going back to the nafs. So essentially what he's getting at here is, you have two options. Because obviously we love multiple things, right? The question becomes, why are we loving those things? Am I loving those things because all of those things are falling under the basket of the nafs? Or am I loving those things because all of those things are falling under the basket of Allah? Right? This is, this is the choice that we have to make. But the heart can only have uh, one choice. Uh, for all other instances of love are branches of one's love for oneself. It is because all these things that one wants... One wants them for nothing else but for oneself. He does not want them for their own sake. <coughs> says, and when his love for himself is removed, the love for the extensions of his self-love, i.e. love of money, leadership, popularity, etc., also goes away. It is for this reason that they say that the veil between a person and God is not the world, but his own self. The veil is not all of these things. It's always, they use this terminology. Because if, we, if you think about what we said about the ruh, the ruh is directly connected with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what is it that gets between us and Allah then? It's not actually all of the material things. What it is is that there's, it's, it's us. The hijab fin nafs. It's a hijab. It's called a hijab. SubhanAllah, it's between us and our nafs. Since the world in itself is not what a person wants, therefore it cannot be the veil. Indeed, the true purpose uh, of the person is to please his ego. The world is just an instrument to make himself happy. Therefore, necessarily, the self of the person is the veil that separates him from God, not something else. And until man becomes empty of the desires of himself totally, God will not become his intention. And love for God would not find a place in his heart. So, again, this is a very central and um, important concept. And it's also a very tricky concept. I'll give you a personal example that's actually quite embarrassing for the sake of clarification. And that is that when uh, I first became a Muslim, 
Bismillah, mashallah. Fajr prayer in the masjid was like seemingly the greatest joy. I would get up, I would get ready, go get ready, sometimes with the brothers when I lived with them, sometimes not, and go to the masjid for this Fajr prayer. And my heart was filled with arrogance. Every single day. <laughs> Brimming with arrogance, you know. MashaAllah, look at... Uh, I would literally drive on the freeway to the masjid, to this masjid. Drive on the freeway to the masjid, thinking to myself, look at all of these people, nobody's going to worship Allah, they're going to work, they're doing all these other things. Nobody's going to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's like filled with arrogance. The whole thing was filled with arrogance. MashaAllah, motivation every single day. Got up. From the outside, many people look at that and they say, Oh, mashallah, the brother is going to masjid every single day. Look at his motivation. He's doing it for the sake of Allah. It's so great. He's religious. He's pious. He's all of these things, right? <laughs> In reality, it's the complete opposite. <laughs> the whole thing was nafs. The whole thing was arrogance. The whole thing was like, now you did this thing. You, you, you know, it makes you look good. You're better. Deep down inside. Maybe like, I'm not consciously thinking that, right? And this is the scary thing about the nafs. It's not... If we're not accustomed to looking at it, it's not so clear. Because it's a little it's like one layer underneath. And it's just waiting there. And it's messing with us. Like, okay, you do this. Oh yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, why are you doing this? I'm doing this for the sake of Allah. Are you really? Or are, is there some nafs in it? You know, and this is this is the issue that's really um, plagues our own personal lives and it also plagues our institutional lives. Because the lion is really tricky. And it's not always very clear. And so we have to always be kind of like in this habit of looking at the nafs and, and trying to do things that the nafs doesn't like. You know? Um, I'll give you another example. It happened this morning. Sometimes I give these examples. I'm like, I hope, for the, I hope Ya Rab, there's some clarification of the concept that comes to these examples. Because it's like borderline exposing myself to disaster by giving them in the first place. <laughs> you know? So the thing that came up was I was someone had passed away. And I had this moment where I was like, you know what? I should get on a plane and I should go to this janazah. And I felt like really motivated about it. And then I realized that I haven't even made dua for the person yet. You know, like you're really motivated to get on the plane and go to the janazah and like all the people will be there, mashallah, and like you came and you flew in, you flew in for the janazah and mashallah, you came and like all this stuff. It's very tricky. And in your mind, it's like, okay, yeah. That's, and then I was like, wait a second, I didn't even make dua for this person yet. And then there's like certain things you can make dua for them, you know, the certain duas that we make for people who have passed away and stuff like that. And I started to do it and I realized that I'm getting lazy with it. And it's not something that takes more than like three minutes. I'm not, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Like it's a dua that probably would take like three minutes. And halfway through it, I'm like, subhanAllah, you're getting lazy with this. Like it's clear now what the motivation actually was. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a sincere motivation to go to this person's janazah. It was just like pure nafs, you know. So the nafs is very tricky like that. And <coughs> we have to pay attention to it. Because if we don't, everything will get mixed up. All right. He continues, this is uh, still Imam al-Sirhindi. They call him an Imam al-Rabbani. Uh, and this is the great happiness which could not be realized except after absolute annihilation of the self or complete negation of what is wrong 
which is contingent upon the personal manifestation of God in one's heart. So basically what he's saying is that we have these things in our heart. We don't achieve true happiness until we overcome them. How, do, how is it that we overcome them actually? Is when God becomes so powerful in our heart that it just wipes out everything else. Right? There's two approaches, really. Like There's two major approaches in Islamic spirituality to how to deal with these things. And both of them work. And um, both of them are legitimate. Sometimes certain times and places might warrant one over the other. Uh, certain personalities might warrant one over the other. But there's two major approaches. If you, uh, the way I, I like to always think about them is like when you're doing the dishes. And I'm, I'm assuming everyone does the dishes. You know, doing the dishes is important. So when you have a dirty cup, right, or a bowl, maybe you have a bowl or a pot or a cup or whatever else it is, and you have something in it that's not clean, you have two options. One option is you wipe out whatever is not clean, and then you rinse it and you're good to go, right? You wash out what's not clean and you rinse it. The other option is you just dump water on it until it pushes everything out, right? And these are the, basically the two approaches to the heart. One approach is we have things in our heart, we have to get rid of them, we have to scrub them out, and then once we scrub them out, the good things can come in. The other approach is, I'm just going to dump good into my heart until it pushes everything else out, and there's no space. These are the two, these are the two basic approaches in Islamic spirituality. Uh, of course, you could combine between them too, like run a little bit of water and scrub it, so you're, uh, you're going to get the best cup, mashallah, if you do like a little bit of each. But this is essentially the approach. So what he's saying, and, but in reality, even the people who focus on the scrubbing, the ones who do that successfully have full and complete certainty and understanding that no matter how hard I scrub this cup, without Allah, it's not coming clean. So they're not putting their, their trust in the scrubbing. They're putting their trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the idea is, I have these things inside of me. I recognize that. The only way they're going to come out is if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala overwhelms my heart. And when Allah overwhelms my heart, all of these things are going to go. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, you know, to give us that. At-tajalli, tajalli adhati, in one's heart. Uh, it's a beautiful word, you can't really translate it well in English. They call, usually in English they translate it as manifestation. It's like Allah ya tajalla uh, comes in uh, tajalliyat, they come to a person's heart. Anyways, the personal manifestation of God is the love of Allah for His own sake. Unless you come to a very clear understanding that what is worth loving is only God, you cannot clean yourself from your attachments, passions, and desires, because removal of darkness cannot be imagined without the complete sunrise. The personal manifestation of God is like the sunrise in the heart and makes you see the truth. It's beautiful, subhanAllah. Said Fajr al-Sadiq, they say, you know. And they say also about Islamic spirituality that when we talk about like personal development and stuff <coughs> we're looking for al-fajr al-sadiq not al-fajr al-kathib you guys know this in, in uh, fiqh in fiqh they talk about this when does the fajr time start they say when the complete darkness is there then there's a moment before sunrise where there's a flash of light and it flashes and it goes vertical and then it goes away Darkness comes back. This is called the Fajr and Kadib. It's the lying Fajr. You think it was the beginning of Fajr, but it wasn't the beginning of Fajr. And then after that, the light comes, and it comes horizontally, and it spreads on the horizon, and then it grows. And this is at Fajr al-Sadiq. This is the true Fajr. So they say that in, and actually it goes back to my 
Salat al-Fajr example, the Fajr prayer example, that true growth happens like the true dawn. A little bit of light comes, takes a little bit of time, takes a little bit of time, takes a little bit of time, but it grows and it grows and it grows, and then once it grows, it's overwhelming, and, it's, and then you're like, okay, I can pray duha now. It's clear. The, the day has started. It's very clear that this is now the time to, to put in work. But the lying fajr is like fake, uh, not fake, but maybe, maybe incomplete is a better word. It's like an incomplete spiritual development. There's a, there's a, there's a spark to it. There's a, there's a burst to it, but it doesn't last. Okay? So, again, on a personal level, what happened with me was after that first year, year or so of fajr, I've never been able to maintain fajr in the masjid since then. 20 years. <laughs> Subhanallah Like it, there was the first When it was nafs It was really easy But then it was like When it's, when it's something else It becomes harder May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Give us tawfiq He says Freeing oneself from control of the nafs Is necessary for leading a virtuous life Because the nafs constantly hinders virtuous behavior The person who achieves this freedom Performs virtuous acts Without the need for an inner struggle This level is the aimed goal of futuwa. It's a beautiful paragraph, very, very important. And why, although people think I'm crazy, <coughs> I think the, our relationship with technology is extremely, extremely fundamental issue in our personal development, and especially with children. Because the reality is that as we get older, we have more self-control. We know this, right? Like anyone who's over 20, knows this. They remember when they were 13, what it was like. They remember when it was 15, when I was 18, when I hit. So I know that me as like a 40-year-old adult who's spent a lot of time of my life trying to not be a bad person, I still have issues with technology, right? Like I probably look at the phone more than I really should. I probably check things more than I really should. I'm probably more, and, and that has an actual physical consequence in my mind. And that physical consequence in my mind is related to my ability to control my nafs. Because that's what the whole system is predicated upon, right? Like if, if what does is, what is all of these technology and all this stuff boil down to in the end of the day? Is essentially some of the smartest people in the world have collaborated to figure out how can I make the nafs take over this person's life? It's essentially what the whole thing boils down to. Because if, if, the, if the person has no control over their nefs, then I can sell them whatever I want. And I can get them to spend more time with me. And so that means I can sell them whatever I want, and I can sell their attention to the people who want to sell them things. Right? So this is, for, this is their business. Like The business of technology is our nefs. It's crazy when you think about it. So if we undermine our capacity from a really early age, it's very dangerous. We see how difficult it is for us in, in our older age, but for, for people who, you know, like we know this when we raise our kids, we don't just expose them to anything, right? Like there's certain ages, you know, okay, at this age, they're probably gonna be exposed to this thing. We'll talk to them about it. They have a little bit more maturity. When they get a little bit older, there's gonna be other things. Now they're a little bit stronger. We can expose them to this situation, but we don't wanna expose them to that. There's a whole process to it, right? But the nefs is being uh, worn away. And if we don't have that control over our nefs, then we actually can't live a life that calls to virtuous behavior. Because in order to give priority to virtuous behavior, we have to be able to control the nefs. 
Otherwise, there's nothing we can do. Like we can, it, it can be really good when things are really easy. But that's not really going to help us a whole lot. You know? uh, there's uh, there's going to be a whole lot of things in life that test us. There's going to be things that make us frustrated. There's going to be things that make us angry. There's going to be things that make us tired. There's going to be things where we feel like we just can't do it anymore. You know? And if we don't have, in order to show virtue in those situations, which is the path of futuwa, that's what futuwa is all about. That's what Islamic spirituality is all about. That's what actually Islam is all about, really, if you were to boil it down. How do I do those things that are right in the time that it's difficult? I do it because I have an ability to control my nafs. And it might be that people who are seemingly doing really good things have no control of their nafs, actually. Or people that are talking about really big ideas and big concepts and all that, and they have no control over their nafs. So the nafs is really... Uh, like this is the whole thing. As for the one who they fear standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they stop their nafs from what it wants, then for them is the reward of paradise. That's, that's the reward actually. Uh, and when you look at the way of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we see this very clearly in the way of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You know? He didn't do things for himself. It's, it's really that universal. He really didn't do things for himself. Even his anger he didn't do for himself. In the description in the Shaman, it says that the Prophet he never got angry for his own self ever. But if a right from the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was violated, then nothing could cool his anger until it was fixed. This is the description of the Prophet This is powerful description You know, very strong description Why is it so strong? Because it wasn't for himself It wasn't like, oh, you know, I'm offended right now Or they didn't do this the way it was supposed to be It was none of that The Prophet If there's a right And this is, again, it's one of those things that gets really tricky Sometimes we convince ourselves that it's the right of Allah That we're upholding But it's actually us <laughs> like we have some sort of benefit from it So again we have to be careful with these things But the Prophet them didn't do things for himself And they say This is why they say in Islamic spirituality We're all over the place today in tangents That there's four foundations of the spiritual path Four foundations of the spiritual path are To limit speech To limit food To limit sleep and to limit unneeded interactions with people. <laughs> These are the four. You know, that's, the last one is my own translation. It gives a little bit more understanding of the issue. But to limit your food, to limit your speech, to limit your sleep, and to limit unneeded interactions with people. So I have to lessen all of those things. Lessen them, lessen them. Because what does it do? It takes the nafs away. And so when you take the nafs away, you can start to tame it. But when the nafs can be, when the nafs is tamed, it's not that we're trying, we're not monks, you know. We're not trying to get rid of the nafs, actually. And that's very important. We're not trying to get rid of the nafs, we're trying to tame the nafs. Because when we tame the nafs, then it becomes actually the riding horse that takes us to our destination. It's, it's, uh, which is, but we have to break the horse a little bit. And um, this is why they, they say that... Um, uh, the Prophet them, he said, He said, nobody believes until their desires become in line with what I brought. So it's not getting rid of the desire. You know? Uh, 
Those who believe their love for Allah is more greater than everything else. It's not that they don't have love, it's that their love is in the right place. It's not that they don't have anger, it's that their anger is in the right place. It's not that they don't have courage, it's that their courage is in the right place. That the, all the strength that the person has is put in the right place. This is the way of Islam. He's going to talk about this actually right now. He says, however, we all have needs and desires, so how do we deal with them? There are three main standpoints regarding the attitude to be taken against sensual desires. The materialist standpoint, the priesthood standpoint, and the moderation standpoint. Number one, the materialist standpoint. Materialists claim that happiness can be achieved by fulfilling one's hedonistic desires. In fact, this attitude is called an nafs al-ammara. An nafs al-ammara means that a person is completely under the control of their nafs, and that he spends all his efforts to satisfy his hedonistic desires in an unlimited way. This standpoint is prevalent nowadays. Therefore, we can say that the modern and postmodern civilization is a civilization of an nafs al-ammara. It's very true. Our entire civilization is all about doing whatever you want. I want this thing, I'm going to get this thing. And, and the sad thing about it is, people don't realize, the more you do that, the less satisfied you are. It doesn't, it doesn't actually go away. And Busiri said that. He said, don't think that when you feed, that you're going to overcome your desires by giving into them. Because once you give into it, you just give it more. It doesn't have, you know, I'm just going to do a little bit and then afterwards it's going to go away. No, it's, you have to, it has to be uh, overcome. And we see it, right? Like the more toys we give our kids, the less they care. They always need another one. Like kids are actually really interesting to watch. I don't mean this from like a... We should observe them. Because children have inside of them the capacities that human beings have, right? But they're beginning to show at different stages and times and levels. So oftentimes when we look at our kids, we're like, SubhanAllah, you are just, you're just nefs. Like you're a little nefs. If I keep giving to you, you just keep wanting more. And it's never enough, you know? But if, but if, I, if, if I tame you a little bit, I can see how you, you're different when I tame you. Like you, you are me. Like it's really incredible when you, when you look at them. SubhanAllah. And you're like, I'm the exact same way. So one of the, again, problems is, so what, does it make, what, what is it when a child is no longer a child, essentially, is when they learn how to control their nafs. So if we have a bunch of adults that don't know how to control their nafs, then we're just really a bunch of children <laughs> hanging out together and getting you know, irritated about things and frustrated about things because we never had, we never disciplined it for any number of reasons. Sometimes, by the way, it's not our fault. You know, some people have experienced tremendous trauma, tremendous neglect, tremendous hardship, like, and the nafs then is, is scarred in ways that are like really deep and profound. And so the work that's needed is a whole different level of work, you know. So this isn't to like uh, blame other people. The, the, the goal of, of um, character and stuff is never to be looking at other people. Uh, it's one of the, if we're thinking about other people, then this is a sign that things are really wrong. You know, we're, we're not studying it properly. Yeah, we might think about cases, we're going to apply them and so on and so forth. But it's not like, oh, I need to tell so-and-so this. I need to tell so-and-so this. I need to, no, I need to tell myself this. Uh, this is an issue that I have. I don't have sufficient control over my nafs. So this is the materialist approach. The second one is the priesthood standpoint. Priesthood standpoint. Monks believe that real happiness can only be achieved, be achieved by killing the nafs completely and opposing all its desires. For this reason, monks isolate themselves in monasteries and deprive themselves of all material possessions and social relationships. And then he says number three is the moderation standpoint. According to this approach, the way to happiness is the middle way. 
and is briefly expressed as give your nafs its due and prevent its pleasure. This is different. Give it its due and prevent its pleasure. Accordingly, the key to human happiness is moderation. This is the approach adopted by many philosophers and by Muslims. In this response, in this respect, Islam has taken the middle path between the materialist and the priesthood standpoints. Of course, we have to ask what is actually its due and what is its need. Sometimes we think that its due is far greater than it actually is. According to the understanding of the human being in Islam, the human soul or the heart contains two faculties, namely the aql and the nafs. The aql and the nafs, the reason and the nafs. I forgot that when I was doing the breakdown. The aql also. SubhanAllah. Uh, the interaction among these faculties varies from one person to another. In the inner world of the human being, it is extremely important whether the control is given to the aql or to the nafs. So the aql is our, our true intellect. Aql is not really uh, like in our common culture and stuff. We understand intelligence sometimes in a way that's not exactly sound. So we equate oftentimes like degrees and the amount of books that are read and stuff like this with intelligence, and we consider that aql. That's not necessarily aql. Aql is like the capacity inside of us to think properly, and ideally, education helps that. But it doesn't always. And some people are extremely aqil, but they're not very highly educated, in a sense. Uh, who is the greatest example of this? The Prophet right? The Prophet had no formal education. But he had the most piercing intellect. The most piercing intellect. Um, and in our daily lives, sometimes we see this. What is one of the things that greatly interferes with a person's ability to think properly is the nafs. And that's why in one of the greatest works of uh, science written it's by Abu Hayyan Abu Hayyan or Ibn Hayyan? I think Abu Hayyan. Uh, maybe Ibn Hayyan. Ibn Hayyan. Anyways, he wrote on chemistry. And uh, his whole introduction to his work on chemistry is about the nafs. It's about how you can't have an actual, true, scientific inquiry unless you have an effort of purification of the nafs. As long as the nafs is in charge, you can't have scientific objectivity. And this is very important. You know, this is part of our uh, worldview. There's always a power conflict between reason and the nafs. So between the aql and the nafs, there's a power conflict. The nafs wants to be in charge. And the aql's like, no, this isn't what you should be doing. You know, <laughs> your aql's coming in and it's like pulling the reins on the horse. And it's like, wait a second, that's not really what you should be doing. And, you're, and the nafs is like, no, I'm in charge, you know. And there's this battle that's going on between the two. If uh, the three main types of nafs that are mentioned in the Qur'an. We already talked about a nafs al-ammara. A nafs al-ammara to bisu. This is mentioned in the story of uh, Sayyidina Yusuf, alayhi salam, right? He says, He says, I don't uh, claim innocence for myself. The self incites towards evil. Right? This is a nafs al-ammara. That's the base level. This level is the level where the nafs dominates the aql. The nafs dominates the aql. The second level is a nafs al-lawama. Surah al-qiyamah. A nafs al-lawama. A nafs al-lawama is, the, they call it the self-reproaching soul. So this is now, there's like a back and forth. Sometimes we get it right, sometimes we get it wrong. 
But there's an ongoing discussion at least, right? Like there's a, there's a push and pull that's happening. So in this one, the aql and the nafs are kind of like squaring off. They're squaring off with each other and they're, they're going to battle, right? And then if the aql wins, it becomes nafs al-mutma'inna, the, the soul that's at ease. Because now the nafs has been controlled and the aql is going to tell it where it should go. It's like, okay, I'm in charge here. You're there. We didn't get rid of you. But we're going to tell you where to go. Right? This is why in spirituality they like the uh, analogy of the falcon. Right? The falcon, they put the hood on the falcon. And then as soon as you take the hood off, the falcon goes and hunts. Right? This is the aql is like, the aql is the control of the falcon. And then when you let it go, then put the, it goes to where it's supposed to go. Uh, some breakdowns of the nafs have more than this actually Some of them have seven After uh, al-nafs al-lawama After the self-reproaching soul They say there's the nafs al-mulhama The nafs that has some level of inspiration It's a step further And then after that comes nafs al-mutma'inna The nafs that's at ease And then after that comes uh, al-radiya And then al-mardiya And then al-kamina that the, the one that's pleased and the one that's pleased and the one that uh, is the receiving of pleasure. Like the one that's pleased in itself and then the one that's ple- that Allah is pleased with. And then the one after that is the one that is complete, the complete soul. Anyways, that's a different breakdown. Shaykh Abdul Qadir Jinani uses that one. So there's always a power conflict between the reason and the hedonistic self. If a person is spiritually healthy, the aql is the commander, and the nafs is the servant. The state in which the aql is the ruler is referred to as the healthy heart, and qalb as-salim, or as the content soul, and nafs al-mutama'inna. However, if a person is spiritually unhealthy, the nafs takes control. In this case, the reason, which should be the commander, becomes a servant and constantly tries to find a way to fulfill the orders of the hedonistic self. This is we see it, right? Sometimes you see people who do bad things, and they're like, subhanAllah, they put so much effort into this. Like, because the aql is servant now to the nafs. Allah help us. Like really, materialism and opulence and technology and all of these things are serious barriers. Yeah. Uh, however, the positive of this is like if you don't have a bunch of temptations and you overcome those temptations it's not really much of a victory right <laughs> and if they come you don't know if you're going to be able to handle them but if you face a bunch of temptations and you defeat them then that's a serious victory and whatever else comes is not going to be a problem and we used to see this with like uh, one of the things you see about people who studied in, in Cairo was that their experience is different than people who studied, for example, in like certain parts of Yemen and stuff. Why? Because someone would go study in... It's not to blame any of these places at all. All of these are great places of learning. But if you go somewhere where your environment is really controlled, it's not the same as you go somewhere where your environment is totally insane. It might break you. <laughs> you might not actually succeed. <laughs> but if you, if you were able to do it, then it's going to give you something else. You know, there's an added strength to that. Uh, this is not to take away from anyone in any place uh, at all because most people that I've seen at least have a very hard time coming out of Cairo <coughs> well like it's, it's you, you have to really 
Like if, like if you're from the awliya and you're in Cairo, you're from the awliya, like for real. <laughs> you know, you really, you really did something super special, you know. Uh, most people would just break them, make you really cold-hearted and really, uh, it's challenging. Uh, SubhanAllah, Allah forgive us. I love Cairo. I miss it every single day, just so nobody thinks I'm saying anything bad about it. Like literally without exaggeration, I miss Cairo every single day. Probably the Egyptians can't even understand how much I miss Cairo. That's, that's how serious it is. Like I listen to Cairo radio. I watch videos on YouTube from Cairo. I drink tea that came from Cairo. I wear things that came from Cairo. <laughs> like, like it's, it's a very uh, severe issue. <laughs> Inshallah, maybe have the chance to visit sometime. I haven't been back in 11 years. The state in which the nafs is the ruler is referred to as the ruling self and nafs al-ammara, that is the nafs that gives orders abundantly. The aql is that the servant of the nafs finds more and more satisfaction in love of possessions in pursuit of fame and sexual desires and in love of leadership and similar hedonistic desires. The state in which the nafs is idolized is called the hidden polytheism, shirk and khafi. As stated in the Qur'an, Have you seen, O Prophet, the one who has taken their own desires as their god? Will you then be a keeper over them? You see the person who took their desires as uh, their god. According to this understanding, the materialist modern and postmodern civilization, which adopts the view that people's happiness resides in satisfaction of their unlimited desires, is a polytheistic civilization in which the nafs is idolized. This is a powerful sentence. Did you catch that? So, so, so based on this understanding, the society of postmodern society that gives uh, authority to the nafs over everything and to the following of the desires over everything is in its essence a polytheistic civilization because it worships the nafs. Materialist philosophy and science are means of legitimizing the desires of the ego with an academic discourse. SubhanAllah. <laughs> I told you in the beginning, Sheikh Rajab, one of the really interesting things about him is that he's a proper specialist in social sciences. Like he's a social scientist by training. He's, he runs graduate programs in social science where they study the Islamic tradition of social science, they study the Western tradition. He's a specialist in philosophy. He knows everything there is to know in the, the, the philosophical and social science tradition that dominates our world today. And at the same time, he's a Muslim scholar, born and raised in Turkey at the hands of great sheikhs. So the insights that he gives sometimes are really, like you read a sentence here like, SubhanAllah, that's an amazing sentence. This one. Materialist philosophy and science are means of legitimizing the desires of the ego with an academic discourse. That's a really, uh, people who are in you know, graduate programs and stuff might sit with that one for a little bit. The institutions of the capitalist modern civilization are also the means of satisfying the limit, limitless desires of the nefs. Uh, why do we have the economic system that we have? So that we can continually feed the nefs. Yeah, it's, it's a, uh, at the expense of what? You know, look at our weather, subhanAllah. Uh, take whatever political stance you want. If anyone's been in San Diego for more than a couple years, you know that our weather is not how things have generally been. Right? It's very strange. 
It feels like you're, we're living in a tropical climate or something. Like one day is very cloudy, there's some humid rain, and the next day is sunny, and then there's this, and that. it's very strange, subhanAllah. Uh, to, because, because the nafs is fed, 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 feed the nafs, feed the nafs, feed the nafs, at the cost of everything. Just destroy everything, as long as you have some nafs. And we do that with ourselves too. We actually destroy ourselves in order to feed the nafs. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us. Uh, however, it should be known that it is impossible for the nafs and to be satisfied and content. It's very, very important. No matter what you do, if that's the underpinning of the system, it will never have contentment. That system will never lead to contentment because it cannot be contented. This is a profound truth. The nafs of the mother cannot be contented. It'll always want more. So it'll always command to more, always command to more. And this is, I'll, I'll stop here and then I'll tell you, you know, a story I've probably told before. However, it should be known that it is impossible for the nafs of the mother to be satisfied and content. Therefore, a person who believes that he will be happy by pursuing the unlimited desire of the nafs is like a person who pursues a mirage. Okay. Uh, I think I'll stop here because I'm kind of tired of talking at this point. And, um, but I'll tell you one story. For me, it's uh, the one story I always think of in this is uh, what we saw from Sheikh Ali Saleh, Hafidhullah. If anyone speaks Arabic, I would suggest you look, put in the name Sheikh Ali Saleh, Sheikh Ali Saleh Al Azhari, uh, into YouTube. And find actually like his, um, there's a video called uh, Sira wa Masira. Sira wa Masira, Shaykh Ali Salah. They interview him, he talks about his life. This is an old Shaykh. Shaykh Ali, for, for me, it was like, you know, you read about things. And then, of course, when you see them, it's different. It's, narr- it's said about the Prophet that he said, that seeing something is not like being told about it. And probably many of us have had experiences like this, but um, you know, Sheikh Ali, Hafidhullah, may Allah preserve him. We used to go to his home uh, behind Al Azhar, like behind uh, um, what's that street called? Ghuriya. Anyone know Ghuriya? Ghuriya, behind Azhar, where the old shops are, on the other side of Sharam Raiz. The extension of Sharam is on the other side, the Azhar side, is the area called Ghuriya. And if you walk that direction, you pass all these old places, you pass this big masjid that Ibn Hajar al-Asqanani used to give khutbah in. You pass like all these historic sites, people are selling things, whatever. And then you get to the end gate of the old city, Bab Zuwayla. It's one of the old gates of Cairo. It's actually the gate that they used to, uh, the Hajj procession would leave from Bab Zuwayla. And uh, then just outside of the gate, if you go right, and then you go left, then you go down a little bit and you go right, and you make a little right into this little doorway, you find Sheikh Ali's house. In this really poor area of Cairo. And Sheikh Ali himself is mostly blind, and his wife was fully blind. Allah Allah have mercy on her. He used to always call her a Sheikha. And he would be like very proud of a Sheikha. He would always say, Sheikha, Sheikha tahfad al-Qur'an al-Zahr al-Qalb. Sheikha tahfad al-Qur'an al-Zahr al-Qalb. He would say, the Sheikha, she memorized the whole Qur'an. She memorized the whole Qur'an. He would only refer to her as the, as the Sheikha. And uh, one time we were there, and you know, we go into his living room. 
His living room is probably like maybe the size of this rug, you know? Like by the time you put a love seat on it and you put a chair on it, there's not really any space left, right? It's like you're, you're basically knee to knee at that point. And he was in front of us and there'd be a chair here and there's a chair here and then there's like a little room. The bedroom's there so Shaykha sometimes she would come and then she'd go in the room. And if she heard someone make a mistake in like a verse from the Quran or something when they're reading, she'd say it from the room. <laughs> she'd call out, you know. <laughs> and then there is no kitchen. There's just a hallway that goes to the bathroom. And the stove and everything is in the hallway. Right? And 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 Sheikh Ali was like, you know, to this day, he's just such a beautiful person, you know. And you know, they'd, they'd, someone would boil tea And then he'd ask people to make the tea And he'd tell one of the brothers Because one of the brothers was like Maybe you could say like Shadid uh, al-Haraka Like you know some people they kind of move in like a really uh, Like quick Kind of like jolty way So he'd get, he'd get worried Whenever the brother would be making tea <laughs> And he'd tell him Ya fulan Khud balik min sukr عشان عالم النمل عالم خطير جدا. عالم النمل عالم خطير جدا. So and so, be careful with the sugar because the world of ants is a very dangerous world. If you spill the, you know, and then we sit there and we and everything that comes out of Sheikh Ali's mouth was like nur. Everything like it's only dhikr and ilm. This is whole life. He doesn't exist for anything else. You know, some people Allah really gave them like this is what they do. Nothing else exists in the world for him. Just knowledge and dhikr and and that's it, you know. And uh, people would call. One time we were there and someone called. He had like his little seat, and there was the uh, the electrical outlet behind him, and there was like a dresser or a war, whatever, like wardrobe type thing. And he'd have the radio plugged into the wall for the Egyptian Quran radio. And when he wants to plug it in or plug it out, you just turn it off. You just plug it in, plug it out, you know. And then the instead of like turning it off, you just pull it in or out. <laughs> and then the phone would ring. And he answers the phone. He says, it's like all dua and all like beautiful things and so on and so forth. And we're afterwards, we're like, Sheikh, who is that? And he's like, it's Binti. He's like, it's my daughter. She just called. You know, the whole call was like, how are you? I was making dua for her. It was like so beautiful, you know. Sheikh Ali had nothing His thobes were like all dirty Usually they weren't like very clean He wasn't That was the entirety of his home You know His his, you know, for, for like I, I'm shy to say these things But like his oral hygiene was not so great You know Like he was a very poor person And as, a, as if he's the king of the world As if he's the king of the world Why? Because Nafsa Namara is gone so everything, everything is just happiness and joy and, and So you can have someone like that Filled with happiness And you have someone else who has everything And they have no happiness Because if the route to happiness is to do what the nafs wants It will never be pleased But if the route to happiness is to overcome the nafs And to have a life that's about something bigger and something that's more more important and more valuable and more meaningful and everything else, then then the happiness is actually just right there. But it's it's a matter of overcoming uh, overcoming this. Subhanallah. Ibn Sittin. What do you say? Ibn Ashrin. 
ابن عشر من السنين غلامه رفع عن نظيره الأقلام وابن عشرين من السنة every time we would come he has a new poem for us he said write down this poem write down this poem every time there's a new poem and we would read tafsir and we would read Arabic حفظه الله تعالى but you see people like that there's also Sheikh Ibrahim Allah يرحمه Sheikh Ibrahim was fully blind and he would teach, uh, he taught Nahu, like Arabic grammar. He had memorized the commentary of Ibn Aqil on, um, uh, on Al-Fiyat ibn Malik. Al-Fiyat ibn Malik is like a thousand line poem on grammar. It's kind of like, now everyone thinks like, oh, you studied the Al-Fiyat, it's a big deal. In the past it was like the beginner text, you know, <laughs> you do the Al-Fiyat. So he had memorized the Al-Fiyat with the commentary of Ibn Aqil. On his, he would just come, he would sit down, and he would tell us like, okay, uh, write down what I say and he would just dictate it and he would just copy it and then he would give his commentary he's completely blind he would just sit and, we'd, and then he'd like get up and he'd just walk out <laughs> like where is he going <laughs> like how does he get there we have no idea <laughs> and, the, and the school was in the middle of the graveyards like this is in in, 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 in Cairo if you know Cairo you understand like if there's if that building on Salah Salam, the main street, and then on the other side of the street, it's all graveyards. And the masjid was in the middle of the graveyards. So he would get up and then he would teach and he'd just like walk out. He'd just walk in. We were like, okay, alhamdulillah. <laughs> but anyways, May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us to get things right, inshaAllah. اللهم إنا نسألك الهدى والتقى والعفاف والغناء ومستلنا بسترك الجميل ومستلنا بسترك الجميل اللهم إنا نسألك العفو والعافية والمعافات الدائمة في الدين والدنيا والآخرة ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا عذابنا ربنا لا تنزل قلوبنا بعد إذ هديتنا وهب لنا من دونك رحمة إنك أنت الوهاب ربنا آتنا من دونك رحمة وهيئ لنا من أمرنا رشد نصر من الله وفتح قريب مبشر المؤمنين اللهم إنا حق حق وزقنا تبعا وأرنا الباطل باطلا وزقنا اجتنابا اللهم زقنا حسن الخاتمة اللهم زقنا حسن الخاتمة اللهم عني على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك اللهم يا عالم السر منا لا تهدك الستر عنا وعافنا وعف عنا وكن لنا حيث كنا اللهم إنقذ قلوبنا لك ونبهنا من الغفلة عنك اللهم إنقذ قلوبنا لك ونبهنا من الغفلة عنك اللهم اجعلك الكلامنا لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل وسلم وزد وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله عدد كمال الله وكما يليق بكمال سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين الحمد لله رب العالمين Any questions or comments anyone has? <coughs> yes. Bismillah. Excellent. <coughs> Excellent question, mashallah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so when we're talking about the nafs and being motivated by the nafs to go to fajr and different things like that, then some might hear that and say, well, I think I have some nafs in the good things that I'm doing. Maybe I should just stop doing them. Or how should, what should the approach be? Um, basically what they always say is that we shouldn't leave good things because of fear of nafs in it. Uh, if we have that fear, we should try to address that fear and we should keep going and doing what's good. And uh, what's worse 
then then doing that is not doing it. Is not not doing something good is worse. Um, especially if that good thing has benefit to others. By the way, um, even like when there's clear benefit to others, it's uh, we should keep going in what is good. We shouldn't give up. Yeah, alhamdulillah. The kids are back. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> it's cool. Um, but yeah, so we shouldn't. We should just you know know that it might be a reality that there's something there, and we should try to do better about it, but not give up what's good. And there's different ways that we things that we can focus on, like for example, um, not seeking recognition, not um, trying to be consistent, uh, trying to do things in as hidden a way as possible. It's not always possible, but if we can. Allahu uh, Anyone else? Yes. That's a good question too. So if the if a person has attained nafsan mutma'inna, the soul that's at ease, does their soul stay like that throughout the day or are there going to be ups and downs that happen throughout the day? For the most part, these are not static things. For the most part, these are kind of fluid things. Um, we might have times where the tranquil soul is dominant and then times where the other takes... And ideally, the tranquil soul becomes more and more dominant. For most people, there will be a mix at some level. Um, and they say that actually this is one of the signs of Iman. That the person's had changes a lot during the day. Because they're so attuned to themselves that they notice it in the first place. They know it's like, okay, I'm a little bit different right now. I'm a little bit different. Whereas someone who's completely shut off, they just be consistent, you know. Theoretically, there are people who they're pretty much nafs al you know. I think I've met at least one, but I think I think they I think they exist, but it's pretty rare. Um, but ideally, you know, that becomes more and more and more over time. Uh, subhanallah. Yes, I don't know where to go to. Yeah, I think it's been, yeah. Okay.